Hello and greetings to all my church history lovers out there. Or maybe you're just really, really, really bored. I <laughs> can't think of anything better to do right now. Maybe you're just checking this out. But whoever you are, I'm glad you're listening as I go on some of my ramblings about church history. Uh, that's a good way to describe this, I think. It's ramblings on church history. And I'm okay with that. That's a that's an apt description. Uh, and today I'm probably going to ramble a bit. Because I got a character today I'm really excited about this guy. I think he's one of my favorite people from history. I actually own a chunk of history, a really, really old chunk of history with his face on it. I got a coin with his face on it, so that gives you a clue. Uh, super important guy. Uh, he was an emperor and a king, which is fitting, as Christ the King Sunday is coming up here in a few days. And that's kind of why I wanted to go with him. I was trying to think, who is the most you know, important king figure I can think of in the, in the history of the church? And, and this guy is it. As far as I'm concerned, I think a lot of people would agree with me that you're going to, this is about the top it gets as impactful of people in in a ruler position. Uh, He was an emperor, which is a king, Uh, but you're not going to get anybody much more important than this guy to really to the the future of Christianity uh, from where it was at that time in history. I mean, he has an immense, immense impact and changes really the whole direction of Christianity and the whole makeup of Christianity and and it is hugely important for what it becomes and what it is today. We're going to talk about Constantine the Great, which you already know he's a pretty important guy. He's got the great on his name. Not everybody gets that. Only great people get called the great. Constantine was great. He deserves that title. Uh, and he does an immense, immense good for Christianity and for the church. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start way back at the beginning when he was born. He was born Flavius Valerius Constantinus on February 27, 272, or maybe 285, or maybe any year between those. I don't know. Nobody really knows for sure what year exactly he was born. There's different reports, but somewhere in that time frame, we're fairly confident uh, he came into being. His father was a very successful and important man in the empire at that point. His name was Constantius. Uh, He had risen through the ranks. He was a great soldier, a great general, a great military man. Uh, And he was really one of the most powerful people in the world uh, by the time uh, Constantine was born. And he only became more powerful. Um, I think I have to take a little aside here to kind of explain what the world was at this point, to kind of put this into scope. Uh, At this point in history, the Roman Empire, it's late in its days, it's it's so massive, and it's had so many bad emperors, it's had a lot of corruption, it's had a lot of mismanagement, it's had a lot of issues, and so they've divided it now into, into two parts, the East and the West. And each are ruled over by an Augustus, which is pretty much emperor. So there's like co-emperors going on here uh, under the title of Augustus. Uh, And and they each rule their own territory because it's just it was proving too much for anybody. Uh, And and this seems to work. And then under them are are people called Caesars. Each there's two Caesars under each Augustus. Or one Caesar under each Augustus, two total. There we go. Uh, But they were the next in line. They were the heirs to become the Augustus. This whole setup is known as the Tetrarchy. Uh, it just it was a good system of government that that worked for this massive empire right? and that was what was in place at this point in the east we got a guy named Diocletian who's the Augustus in the west it's Maximian and underneath Maximian is Constantius 
right? Constantine's father. He is the Caesar there. So again, hugely important person. There's like two people in the whole world who are more powerful than he is. Right? It was a big deal. Uh, Constantine's mother, on the other hand, was not nearly as impressive. Uh, she was a Greek woman from low social standings. Uh, we're actually not sure if she ever was married to Constantine's father or if just a concubine. Um, either way, by the time he does rise to Caesar, uh, she's not with him anymore. He sends her and Constantine off by the time he gets promoted to that level. Um, he ends up marrying the stepdaughter of Maximian, you know, which was common. You do a political move, you marry the daughter of a powerful friend, and that's what he does. And so uh, Helena and Constantine are no longer there, but he doesn't just cast them off to nowhere. He sends them off east, uh, and Constantine grows up in the court of Diocletian uh, in a town, well, city, called Nicomedia. They're in present-day Turkey. So still not a bad upbringing. He's there. He learns. He, I mean, he learns what any noble Roman person of the time would learn. He learns Latin. He learns some Greek. He's not great at Greek, though. He, but he learns some of it. He learns, you know, classics. He learns literature. He learns politics. He learns military, which all will become important in his life, especially politics and military. Uh, he spends a lot of time on those two things. Uh, and so he grows up there and... I don't know, we don't have a lot of stories of his childhood, but it seems to be doing well out there. Uh, he's certainly set in life with his father as a Caesar, uh, and things are only going to go better for him now, because uh, in 305, uh, the two Augustuses decide it's time to step aside and retire. They've had enough of being emperor, of ruling. And so, uh, Constantius, as next in line, as the Caesar, gets promoted to the position of Augustus. Uh, he's Augustus in the West. A guy named Galerius is made Augustus in the East. And now he is the most powerful person in the world, or co-most powerful person in the world, right? which is, it's a huge deal. Now, Constantine at this point is still out East. He's in under Galerius now, and he's in his kind of, his household. Uh, there's some tension there, as you could imagine. I mean, there's, these guys are new Augustuses, new leaders. They're kind of feeling each other out, trying to see, you know, if one will we'll give. There's a little power struggle. You know, not not in it, like, not actual fighting or anything, but just the typical power struggle that happens with two men with big egos, right? And that's going on. And so uh, Constantine doesn't really like being around there. It's not going great for him. His dad wants him closer to him. Uh, and so he gets out. You know, there's some different stories on how, you know, he might have been a little trickery, might have been a little sneakiness. But whatever it is, he gets out of, of the East. He makes his way across Europe, kind of a somewhat treacherous uh, undertaking, and but he eventually gets to his his father. He gets to Constantius, uh, and he becomes kind of his right-hand man. They go out, and they find military success. They kill a bunch of people. They do what, you know, military men do. Uh, but he's not made a Caesar. Uh, a guy named Severus was given that title. Um, and so, you know, Constantius's son isn't going to be there, and uh, and there's another guy who thought he should be a made Caesar at this point, too. Uh, Maximian's son, uh, Maxentius, who also isn't made Caesar, and that's going to come up later, too. He also thinks he has some stake in it as well. Uh, but neither of them are, but it doesn't really matter at this point. Uh, he's with his dad. He's with his, his dad's men, his army. He's going into battle with him. He's proving himself to be someone capable, a capable leader, soldier, all of that. Uh, which becomes important, well, not very long after all of this, right? Because in 306, like, 
a year after he's made Augustus, uh, Constantius dies. He he dies while on a campaign in Britain. He seems to be sick uh, with something. Um, people get sick with stuff all the time. It's hard to know what he died with. Maybe could have even been leukemia, according to some reports I read. Who knows? Uh, but he passes away. And, and now Constantine kind of takes over as the head of this army. The men actually proclaim him Augustus, uh, something Galerius disagrees with. He's not ready to give him that title. Uh, and instead, he makes Severus the Augustus, who should be. He's the Caesar. He's next in line. And, and But he does make Constantine the Caesar now. Um, Constantine's not super pleased with this. He'd rather be Augustus, but he kind of understands. Uh, but somebody who's really not pleased with this, again, is Maxentius, the son of Max, Maximian, who, again, has been overlooked and He's like, my dad was Augustus. I should be in one of these positions, and he's still not there. Uh, and so he's finally had enough. He's fed up with it all, and he kind of rebels. And he has his own little army, and well, not little, his own decent-sized army, and they go and they, they take Italy, and they take Rome. Uh, and, and now as being head of Rome, he declares himself the emperor. I mean, why wouldn't you? You're, you're the guy in charge of Rome. You're the emperor now. Uh, and so there's this little kind of mini-civil war a-brewing, uh, Severus takes his troops down to go take care of this rebellion. Uh, but Maximian, Maxentius's father, the former Augustus, comes back into the picture. He joins his son's side. He goes out to meet Severus's army, which used to be his army, and is still loyal to him, and says, Hey, guys, what's going on? You going to come back? And they go, Yep. And so Severus is left with no troops. They just all defect uh, back to Maximian. And, like, yeah, he dies shortly after that, as you would imagine. Uh, and now Constantine's the only one there around to kind of clean up this mess. Uh, he eventually runs into Maximian after he falls out with his son. He comes to Constantine. Constantine convinces him to commit suicide. So now he's gone. And now there's this one-on-one -on -one showdown between Constantine, Constantine and Maxentius. And it's like it comes to a head uh, at this battle of Mulvin Bridge right outside Rome. Uh, and this is this is a battle for the sake of the empire, for who's going to be in control, who's going to be the new Augustus, who's going to be the new guy out west. Uh, they both want it, and they both want it bad, and they both have big armies. Uh, Maxentius' army is a little bigger. Constantine's a little outnumbered, but he's there, and he's ready for this big battle. Right? And this becomes really the most important moment in Constantine's life. Right? This is the moment that changes everything, and for a couple reasons. One, he wins. <laughs> Simple as that. He wins. Uh, he wins the battle. He becomes emperor. I mean, that's that's life-changing, right? It can't get more life-changing than that. He becomes the Augustus of the West. Uh, not long after this, there's a guy named Licinius who actually <laughs> gets into a fight with Galerius and overthrows him and beats him. Uh, and Augustine is allied with him. And so we have two new Augustuses, Licinius in the East, uh, Constantine uh, in the West. Um He's on top of the world, literally. He is the top of the world. He's the most powerful person in the world now with this with this victory. Uh, but something else happens, actually, before this victory, which he believes uh, helps him achieve this victory, which really was more important, well, for my story and maybe for, certainly for the story of the church and for Christianity. And I, th I think arguably more important even than becoming uh, an emperor for Constantine. Before this battle... Like, right before this battle, he converts to Christianity. He finds Christ. 
which is probably something he had been exposed to at some points throughout his life. Christianity had been growing, and it was big enough now that there were Christians around that he probably would have encountered. You know, this is 300 years after Jesus, and even in the face of persecution and death and martyrdom and all of that that came throughout much of this history, the church continued to grow. More and more people became Christians. Uh, And we know that that Constantine's own mother, Helena, becomes Christian, um, very possibly before this even. And so it's certainly something he probably encountered. We can't say for sure. He doesn't really talk about it much before this. It doesn't seem to have much of an impact on him. But there's a conversion moment on the eve of this battle that forever, forever changes his life. He's out. He's outside. He looks up at the sun and he sees there the cross, right? The sign of Christ in the sky. And, and with there is an inscription that says in this sign or, or by this sign conquer, right? And it's pretty clear what this is saying. Like by the cross, right? With the cross, you will conquer, Right? And then there's another story of him having a, a dream that same night uh, in which, uh, there, uh, again, there's a symbol of Christ, the, the Cairo it's called. Um, you maybe have seen this. It's, it's still around in churches. It's in my church, actually. Uh, it, but it's still used as a symbol of Christ. And it's, it comes from the Cairo, the first uh, two letters in the Greek uh, that's, well, in the Greek for Christ, right? <laughs> the first two Greek letters there, the Cairo and the Rho. And it's, it's a combination of them. Uh, so it's in like it looks like an X, like with a P, with the shaft of the P going down through the the middle of the X, kind of things. So like yeah, and you maybe have seen this, and if not, once you start looking for it, I'm sure you'll discover it in churches somewhere. It's still in a lot of churches. This Cairo symbol, but again, he sees this this symbol, and it's like the, again this message, like through the cross of Christ, through the symbol of Christ, through Christ Himself, you will find victory, and, and he takes it to heart. Right? And so he has his men put this Cairo symbol on, on their shields, and he, he goes into battle with it as his banner. Right? This, is, this is his symbol now, and it actually becomes his symbol the rest of his life, going into, into war and into battle, because it's under this symbol that he wins. He wins. He finds victory using Christ. Right? And that's why he becomes a Christian. Because he attributes his victory to this Christian God who he has marched into battle under the symbol of. It's it's not your nice, you know, we we kind of like in Christianity the nice, oh, well, he, you know, he embraced forgiveness and salvation. The Holy Spirit worked on his heart. It's not that kind of story. I mean, it's a story about him converting to Christianity because it brought him military success. Right? And there is some historical question here on on how thoroughly he actually converted Early on, especially, there seems to be a lot of commingling uh, in Constantine's belief system between Jesus and, well, the sun god, Sol Invictus, who we know Constantine worshipped uh, before becoming Christian and seemingly, seemingly continues to do so afterwards. Uh, he just does so in the name of Christ. He kind of, well, combines the two in many ways, right? He, he kind of views the sun god as, as Christ and Christ as the sun god. And so he takes a lot of the same worship he was doing and beliefs and he attributes them now to Christ. But, but he still considers himself Christian and calls himself Christian because, well, that's how he wins, right? The, he, the god of, of the Christian, the, the god that is Jesus Christ has shown himself to be powerful enough to bring him victory. And that's a big deal. Uh, for Constantine. And really, it's a big deal for the church. Uh, because regardless of how thorough his heart here is 
converted to Christ. And and I'll say, I, I think as he grows and, and ages in, and he does get deeper and deeper into Christianity. And by the end, he, I think he is thoroughly Christian. And we'll talk about this as we go through his life yet. Um, but this is, this is a hugely, hugely important moment in the history of the church. Because up to this point, like they had been persecuted fairly regularly. And in fact, we are just a few years, like, like I mean, seven years removed from one of the greatest persecutions that the church had faced up to that point. Uh, it was the Diocletian persecution, that, that guy, Diocletian who was the Augustus of the East. We talked about him not that long ago. He really didn't like Christians, like really didn't like him. And we saw some of the harshest, I mean, absolute harshest of the persecutions that happened to Christians under his reign. Like thousands of Christians were, were martyred and killed. Churches were destroyed. Bibles were burned. Um, church property was seized. Right? I mean, he did a lot to try to eradicate Christianity from, from his empire. Uh, now, the, you know, uh, Constantius, Constantine's father, was a Caesar at this point and was tasked with doing some of these persecutions. And, and you have to, it has to be known that he really didn't partake fully in this, um, somewhat, but he didn't seem real on board with it, which probably had some sway on Constantine's belief system too. But, but it was an incredibly traumatic time for the church, incredibly traumatic. And now here we are, like seven years later, and this new emperor has converted. They went from being hunted down and hated by the emperor and persecuted by the emperor to having an emperor who believed in Christ and who took on the name Christian. <laughs> like, just let that sink in. How, how quickly and drastic of a change that is for this church that has known persecution throughout so much of its of its history, right? That has really, as long as it's existed, been kind of this plucky underdog, like just trying to exist and trying to gain new members and like just barely eking out an existence under the hands of this, this enormous empire and its, and its emperors who were harsh and mean and could kill them at, their, at any whim. And now, now, that same guy, that emperor, that most important, most powerful person in the world is one of them. They're no longer like this persecuted minority having to hide, but they are the religion of the most powerful man in the world. The results of which are seen almost immediately. Right? In 1313, Constantine issues the Edict of Milan, which makes Christianity legal. It says you can no longer persecute Christians. Right? You can no longer try them. You can no longer harm them. In, in fact, harming a Christian now is against the law. He restores the property that was taken away during persecution. And, and he goes out of his way to, to help build the church up. He has Bibles commissioned and made. He, he builds churches all over the empire. And an empire which is, is growing, by the way. Because, because he no longer is just emperor of the West. He's no longer just that Augustus, right? He ends up attacking his buddy Licinius, 
is a little ally, the, the Augustus of the East, because neither of them really want to have half an empire anymore. They both want the whole thing, and so they, they go to war with each other, they battle with each other. And, and Lysin, Licinius actually starts attacking Christians and persecuting them again as kind of a, well, it got you to, to Constantine, who is one of them now. And so he goes and he, well, he rescues the Christians from this persecutor. He saves them and he defeats Licinius and now he becomes the sole emperor. So now he's not just one of the most powerful persons, he's not the co-most powerful person, he's the most powerful person in the world. The sole emperor over the entire Roman Empire, which is vast and huge, and he's a Christian. And the message that sends to the world is is immense. It's immense. Because he's a Christian because, well, he believes and he's proclaiming now that the Christian God is the most powerful God, is the best God, is the God worthy of believing in. He, he's a Christian as he marches into these battles that he keeps winning with the Cairo, with the sign of Christ going before him. And so you can imagine the church grows like like never before. It, I mean, it flourishes under him. It's it's rich. I mean, Constantine himself gives it huge amounts of money. Uh, it, it's it's gone from being this fringe religion that's constantly attacked, and and now like to the religion of the emperor, which in essence makes it the religion of the empire. Right? Which, as great as that sounds, actually has its own downside, because now that there's all this money and all this influence and all this power, and I mean. Constantine has Christian advisors now. Right? Christians have power like they've never had before. Well, I mean, that kind of corrupts. That's what power often does, and money and wealth and all this stuff. I love the way uh, the historian Will Durant puts it. You know, While Christianity converted the world, he says, the world converted Christianity, which is true. Christianity up to this point had always seen, you know, the world like the Bible talks about. You know, it's Christians versus the world. The world is the other. We're not a part of the world. We're, we're that's the bad guys, right? The world is trying to squash us, and which is all they'd ever known. The world was trying to squash them. The world was trying to get rid of them. All, but now they are the world. Right? And as Christianity goes and converts the world, well, the world converts Christianity. Those worldly things that they shunned, and like power and wealth and might. Right, which are all stuff like Jesus warns them of and talks against. Well, now they have all that. Right? And, and Constantine himself, I mean, he struggles with that. Again, he, he's a Christian, but he's not, well, he's not following all the teachings of Jesus all that well. But then again, it's, it's hard to you know, love your enemy when you also are the emperor in charge of a great nation that needs to defeat your enemies in battle. Right? Loving your enemy really wasn't an option for him. At least not if he wanted to keep his empire. There's a lot of people who wanted to take it from him and were willing to kill him to do so. And so he wasn't turning the other cheek. <laughs> right? And and that becomes the issue. And it still is an issue as Christianity is still, well, it's converting the world. And, and his Christianity still has that much power and influence and money. Right? And we still see it. The church is not is not the early church, is not the humble thing that it once was. And it's not doing all that well following the teachings of Christ. Unfortunately, we're not real great at loving our enemies or even loving our neighbors all that often. Right? But that's the downside to being in charge. And the church is in charge now. But it still was a big deal, right? And it still was really good for the people at the time. Uh, and, and Constantine is, is really is involved in the church. 
right? Uh, he, he does see his role as emperor to be someone who's, who's aware of what's happening in the church, like theological issues, and there are theological stuff that he gets involved with. Uh, because, I mean, corruption isn't the only issue going on in the church right now. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's, there's heretics, there's division, there's infighting, all that good stuff. Like, you know, I, we love to think of, like, idealize the church as, like, once upon a time, it was this perfect thing where everybody loved each other and worked together. But, yeah, there's been fighting and all kinds of problems ever since. And there was definitely that going on now. Uh, you know, there was the Donatists who were upset about the Christians who didn't, who did capitulate during the persecutions and who gave away the scriptures and stuff and now went back in the church. They're all upset about that. So that's an issue he's trying to deal with. Uh, but the biggest issue, the one that really he's most well known for in getting involved in, is this, this heresy issue with this guy named Arius. Uh, Arius was out there teaching that Jesus wasn't God. Right? Because he had this strict monotheistic belief, there can be only one God. Well, how, there's not three gods if there's only one God. He just didn't, he couldn't wrap his mind around the idea of a trinity. And so Jesus can't be God. God is God. The Father's God. Jesus is a lesser being. Right? He's something else, is what he was teaching. And this was creating a lot of a lot of fighting in the church. Um, and and Constantine didn't like that. You know, and, and there's argument again here about what's his motivation here. Is he really concerned about the unity of the church? Which I like to give him some credit. I think he is. He does seem to have a lot of concern for church unity uh, throughout his life. Um, but part of that might be, and that's the other side of it, is maybe he just wants peace in his kingdom because it makes it easier to rule his, his empire. Which is probably some truth to it too. I mean, if all the Christians get along, well, that makes his job all the easier. There's nobody fighting. There's no chances of up upheaval or war or dissension uh, but whatever it was he wants to to just get deal with this issue and so he calls like one of the biggest in church councils in history still is one of the biggest church councils in history the council of nicaea in 325 he he brings all the church leaders uh, together and he says okay guys let's figure this out uh and he oversees it which is just it's kind of crazy to think about. Again, we're, we're not that far removed from emperors having no concern over Christians and hating them and persecuting them. And here is an emperor who is overseeing theological debates because he's interested in it, right? And he oversees this council, uh, and he's there for all of it. Uh, and he listens to the debates, and he listens to the discussions. And, and the end result is, I mean, I could. <laughs> this is a big deal. I could talk about for an hour on the Council of Nicaea, but but the end result is that they come out with this Nicene Creed, which defines the Trinity. It upholds Jesus as God, right? and it declares Arius a heretic. Now, of course, he doesn't go away. This whole issue becomes a problem for a lot of years to come, uh, but the Nicene Creed becomes one of the most important documents in the history of the church, and it still is. I mean, we still recite that in churches regularly. This Sunday, Christ the King Sunday, we'll recite the Nicene Creed, because that's what you do. Right? And so the impact Constantine has there is already pretty huge. Uh, but that's just the tip of the iceberg, really, when we get into everything that he did. I mean, he made Christianity accessible. He made it acceptable. He made it mainstream. Uh, he got involved in the theology. And then even a lot of other practices that we are still using today that we might not realize uh, he was involved with the biggest of which was instituting Sunday as like an official day of rest, and he does edict, he does uh, commission that throughout his the kingdom, 
right? Sunday is a day to not work, right? That's a day of rest. That's the day of worship. Now, there were some ties to that old sun god that he can never quite get away with there. I mean, that's why it's called Sunday. It's always been part of the sun god, but but <laughs> it still becomes an immense Christian day. I mean, Sunday's still the day of rest, the still day of no work. Um, and, and Christmas, kind of the same thing, December 25th. That was a festival to the sun god again, which <laughs> we really can't escape these ties, but Christmas becomes, you know, the birthday of Christ uh, around this time. And he abolishes crucifixion, crucifixion as a practice, right? Because no one should be killed in the way Jesus was killed. Uh, he enacts a lot of laws protecting children and slaves and peasants and prisoners. I mean, a very Christian thing to do. So, again, as, as he goes through life, I I really think Christ has more of an impact on him. And he, he learns to, to accept a lot of the Christian teachings. And it does impact a lot of the things he does. Uh, not everything, unfortunately, because he still is, well, a brutal man. Uh, and he is. He kills a lot of people. Uh, he has to be harsh sometimes as the emperor. And, and I mean, even even later in life, he does some pretty horrific things. Like, he has his own son and wife killed. Um, yeah, not things to be proud of. Uh, which is probably why he doesn't get baptized until the end of his life. Uh, he doesn't He doesn't get baptized until he knows he's close to death. Which wasn't completely uncommon in those days. Uh, but for Constantine, it seems to be a conscious decision because he is aware that as emperor, he has to do a lot of awful things. Right? And he knows he's going to do a lot of sinning. He just knows that. And he knows he's going to sin a bunch. And he wants his baptism to be done as close to his death as possible to make sure that all those sins are covered because that was kind of part of the belief of the time, right? Baptism washes away sins. Uh, now we say, well, it washes away sins that all the future sins as well, but he wasn't entirely convinced of that. He wanted to make sure, right? So get baptized right at the end and make sure all those sins he did during life were going to be washed away because he knew he was doing a lot of sinning. Right? And so he gets baptized near the end of his life. Uh, he's he's ill at this point. Uh, he, he really wanted to get baptized in the Jordan River, just like Jesus, but he never was able to get there. He wasn't healthy enough uh, at this point. And so uh, he ends up getting baptized uh, kind of by chance. He really wasn't intentional, but he's back in Nicomedia, the town he grew up. And a guy named Eusebius, uh, uh, higher up in the church there, baptizes him. Uh, and Eusebius becomes a big, important guy because he, he tells us a lot of Constantine's history. He ends up writing a lot of it down. Uh, and then not long after being baptized, he dies in 337. Uh, his impact cannot be overstated, though. And I think I've made that pretty clear throughout here. Uh, you know, as a, as a man of faith, as a Christian, I believe that God used Constantine to grow his church. I think Christianity was gonna gr- would have grown. I mean, there's lots of ways that Christianity could have grown and could have flourished and could have got out from that kind of system of being persecuted and hated. Uh, but this was the way it did. There's a lot of ways it could have maybe, and God could have done a lot of different things, but this is the way it did. Constantine was the man God used to make Christianity the major religion, well, in that world and and in the world yet today. Constantine legitimized it to the point where that Christianity became, became everything. It became the religion of the West. And, and the East, uh, un, well, until a new religions came up, like Islam. 
but even then, it was still hugely important, uh, and still is. I mean, the Eastern Orthodox Church still has a huge importance there, uh, and obviously here in the West, like where we're at, still hugely important, and still the biggest religion, and still has immense impact on everyone, but all of that comes into fruition because this guy named Constantine converts to Christianity, because the emperor became a Christian, right? And all the other little things he did that we still have see ramifications of today, I mean, they all are important, but there's nothing more important than the fact that the emperor became Christian. And there was a lot of bad that came with that, like we talked about, but, but you, can't, you can't overlook the good, right? And Constantine did immense, immense good. For the church and for Christianity as a whole. And it, it is hard to imagine the church being able to grow like it did outside of, of his conversion. Right? That was a huge moment in the history of Christianity. And for that reason, Constantine, I think, is worthy of us remembering and, and looking up to. Uh, the great Christian emperor, the first Christian emperor, the greatest of, of Christian kings. Constantine the Great.